Well, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, as you well know, and Valentine's Day is an important time in my uh, wife and my history. Uh, you may recall I asked Beth to marry me on Valentine's Day of 1982 in Dallas, Texas. I was in a laundry hamper hiding, and she came into the dry cleaners to pick up our cleaning, and I was in the laundry hamper, and I was popped out, and I asked her to marry me, and it was right on television for Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And so Valentine's Day is special uh, to us, and I'm sure for many of you it's also very special. I want to start by giving a word to the single uh, men and women who are here and who are watching online. Sisters in Christ, Mr. Wrong will compromise your purity and then disappear. But Mr. Right will protect your purity and then change your last name. Men, single men, you be the kind of man that you want your sister to marry. Ladies, being modest and dressing modest not only shows your obedience to God, but it also shows men to love you for the right reasons. So that's a beginning word to single men and women. Now let's move to a few words for those of us who are married, the husbands and the wives amongst us. Let me begin with the married women, the wives. As you know from your study of God's word and sermons you've heard preached, that God calls you to be submissive, to be chaste and respectful. And God calls you to make your heart and your character more pretty than your pretty outward appearance. Remember, pretty is as pretty does. Beth told our daughter that so much growing up. Pretty is as pretty does. So God wants you to be gentle and quiet. And we know that because in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6, this is what God's word says. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if one of them do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands." As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, with a little L, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. That's for wives on Valentine's Day. There's something for husbands on Valentine's Day, too. Husbands, God calls us to be understanding and to treat our respective wives with honor. 1 Peter 3 Verse 7, which is the verse that comes right after the six verses I just read to the wives. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, 
Dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, guys, if we don't treat our respective wives with honor, our prayer lives will be hindered. That's serious. Now, here's the great news for the Christian wife and the Christian husband listening. Over the long haul, these biblical behaviors and attitudes, both by married partners, will make the other 364 days in the year that aren't Valentine's Day around the clock Valentine's Day. As my father-in-law used to say, Beth's daddy, a a marriage that's a little slice of heaven here on earth. It's possible. And so moving on, There is a repeated phrase in the Old Testament scriptures, the wife of your youth. The wife of your youth. It appears many times in the Old Testament. It's a repeated phrase. Now, there's an obvious inference in that phrase, and that is that those who marry often marry when they are young. I know there are exceptions. But often, those who will marry marry when both of the spouses are young. Of course, there's some blessings in marrying young. Um, Fertility to have children, uh, vigor to establish a home and to raise children, Uh, hopefully both spouses being teachable. You know, it's easier to correct a sapling tree than a fully grown tree, right? There are some blessings in marrying young. There's more time to learn how to live and how to love with each other. And there, hopefully, when you marry young, you still have parents on both sides that are still living that can be a help to you, to give you advice, to give you assistance with the children. So that's another benefit of uh, marrying young. Now, what I want to do is look at four Old Testament timeless instructions for husbands with respect to the wives of their youth. What does God say in the Old Testament to men like me who are married to a wife they had in their youth time? He says four things at least. The first instruction, don't act treacherously against the wife of your youth. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, one historical way that Israeli husbands were acting treacherously with the, their wives of their youth is depicted in Malachi 2, 14 to 16, when it says, Let you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but did not but he but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Holy Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth, for The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. I'll come back to that passage in a moment. Let's go to the New Testament passages of Ephesians 5.21. It says in Ephesians 5.21 that husbands and wives are to be submitting 
to one another. I'll talk about what it means to submit in a little moment. Also, still in Ephesians 5, verse 33, it says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see it to it that she respects her husband. And so for a, a husband to love his wife with God's agape love is not to act treacherously against her. Now, I've taught you before, but the Greek word that's translated submit is hupotasso. It's a compound word. Hupo means under. Tasso means to stand. So when the Bible calls a wife to submit to her husband, or in Ephesians 5, um, 30, or 21, to submit to each other, the couple submitting to each other in marriage, it means to stand under. To stand under with respect. It's actually a military term. Hupotasso, submit, to stand under. In the military, a soldier that's of a lower rank is not less valuable than a soldier that's of higher rank. They're just a functionality so they can function together in the army. One has a rank, the other has a different rank. The one that needs to stand under one stands under one with harmony, unity, and functionality. So the wife's one job in her marriage is to respect her husband by submitting to him, hupotasso. But husbands, don't act treacherously with the wives you've been given to make it hard for them to respect you. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. God calls husbands like me and those of you who are married to love our wives with God's highest kind of love, agape love. I've taught you before that agape love is figuring out the deepest need in the person you love and then sacrificing to meet that need without concern for the payback or the cost. And so the husband who's properly loving his wife, not dealing treacherously with her, is figuring out what her her needs are and then personally sacrificing to meet her needs without worrying about getting paid back by her or what costs him to do that. That is the highest order of love. And gentlemen, that's the highest order of love that we have been called to give to our respective wives. And so we're seeing that one way to not act treacherously against the wife of your youth is that you love her with agape love as she submits and stands under your servant leadership in the home. Because what will happen is, if you, it starts with the men, if we will figure out the needs of our respective wives, sacrificially give to meet those needs without concern of the payback or the cost, then a snowball will start rolling. And a woman who sees a husband sacrificing to meet her needs without concern for the payback or the cost will start to more respect her husband and to stand under the role God has given him in their family. It's the one accentuates the other. The one emphasizes the other. And just like a ball goes down a hill, once you put 
lose the ball at the top of a hill, eventually the momentum is just going. So where does it start? It starts with men. So men, we don't say, when you respect me and stand under me, I'll love you properly. No. Mm-mm. God wants the men to start to sacrificially love their wives, to meet their needs without the concern of the payback or the cost. And as we agape love our wives, they will respond by respecting us and standing under our leadership. That's how it works. Now, in the context of Malachi 2 that I just read a moment ago, husbands, we need to know that one of the quickest killers for a wife's respect for us is her having lost her trust in us. When one's wife loses her trust in her husband, it's a serious matter. It can be fixed, but it's a serious matter. And so back in the historical context of Malachi 2, 14 to 16 that I did read earlier, what was happening was that Jewish husbands were divorcing their Jewish wives, the wives of their youth, and marrying pagan, idol-worshiping women. And God says, that's dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. And of course, that would cause some trust to be lost by any husband that would deal treacherously with his wife. But you say, okay, Pastor Rob, is there anything else other than divorcing for an unbeliever that would cause a wife to lose trust in her husband? Yeah. There's many things, but here's some. If a husband has a pattern of breaking promises that are made to his wife and to the children... Given enough broken promises, that can erode trust in the woman. Or refusing to lead our families to God's word in prayer. If that is a chronic enough habit, then even a godly wife can begin to lose some trust in the leadership of her husband. Or, guys, how about when we are talking with our wives on the phone Do we rush those conversations more than we rush other conversations for business? Do we have more patience on the phone for people we're talking with in conjunction with our business than we have with the wife of our youth on the phone? That can cause a lady to lose trust. Or when we are passive, men, when we don't step up to our responsibilities to Uh, help our wives in the raising of the children, then that uninvolvement can push a wife to serious eroded trust in her husband. We said, we don't want to do that. And then here's another one that I know I can be guilty of. Clamming up rather than telling Beth what's going on in my head. When I have things that are pushing in on me and stressing me, I get quiet. I get too quiet. And I clam up. And sometimes, I'm not proud of this, sometimes I give most of my uh, reports on how I'm doing here at the office with people that aren't, I'm not married to. Like, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that, that Beth's entitled to know what's in my heart, and I can't clam up. But it's easy to clam up. So you say, can the shoe be on the other foot? Well, yeah, it could. Wives... The shoe can be on your foot that there are some ways that you could act treacherously toward your husbands by disrespecting them. 
God's called you to stand under them and to respect their husbands, but what would it look like for a woman to act treacherously toward her husband and not to be respectful? Well, it could look like not being grateful and content. It could look like nagging your husband. It could look like gossiping about your husband. It could look like discouraging your husband. And so what I'd like to say to the husbands and the wives is that there's more than enough husbands who act treacherously toward their wives in our culture. There's more than enough wives who act treacherously toward uh, their husbands in our culture. So let's not be in these groups that um, don't honor the Lord. That's the first instruction. Don't act treacherously with the wife of your youth. The second instruction is don't grieve the wife of your youth by rejecting her, by rejecting her. It says in Isaiah 54, verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife you were refused, says the Lord. The context here is the prophet Isaiah was speaking to the nation of Judah on behalf of God, and he was doing this just before Judah fell into captivity and a long exile in Babylon. And the nation at that time, God's prophet Isaiah was to tell the nation at that time that the nation would feel just like a forsaken and a rejected wife while the nation was in exile for 70 years. So husbands, at all costs, we need to avoid three things with our wives. Number one, we need to avoid forsaking your wife. You need to avoid grieving your wife. You need to avoid rejecting your wife. You need to love your wife without conditions. And you need to start in that loving without conditions to realize that that's how Christ loves you. Christ loves you without conditions. Christ loves your wife without conditions. And so therefore, any statement which begins with, I'd love you more if, is not a right statement. It's a statement to be avoided. And if it's already been said in your marriage relationship, then repent of it and ask forgiveness of your mate. I mean, if husband, how would you feel if your wife said any statement to you that began with, I'd love you more if? That's a hurtful statement. That's a aloneness statement, not a oneness statement. What's the third instruction? The third instruction is to celebrate physical intimacies with the wife of your youth. Proverbs 5, verse 18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. In both the verses that precede that verse and the verses that follow that verse, intimacies are in view. The verses that come before that verse warn about outside of marriage intimacies, and the verse after that verse endorses the same wonderful uh, marital intimacies in a marriage. So physical intimacies in marriage are to be celebrated because God invented them, God smiles on them, God has given safe boundaries for them, four boundaries that I would like to suggest that God has given, like fences in a pasture for a horse, horses to be able to 
uh, um, roam and run safely with four fences? What are the fences for uh, intimacies in marriage? Well, first fence is that, that it's within marriage that it's inside the marriage covenant, not before the marriage covenant, not outside of the marriage covenant, but right in the marriage covenant. Second fence, it's heterosexual. God blesses heterosexual intimacies in marriage. It is monogamous, no polygamy, and it is lifelong until death us do part. You know, fire is a two-edged thing. If you have a fire on the beach and you're cooking some food over the fire, it's very, very useful, and it gives you light at your campsite on the beach. It's very good. But take that same bonfire and put it in your living room in your house, and you've got danger. And God says there's a place for marital intimacy, and it's in marriage. And when it's taken outside of marriage or happens before marriage, it's like having that bonfire in your house where there's no fireplace. You'll soon be hearing sirens of the fire company coming to get your house, try to keep it from burning to the ground. And so I wanted to say, why, why in the language of Proverbs 5.18, why in the language of Proverbs 5.18 do you think the Holy Spirit would compare one's wife to a fountain? Well, I think you have to be mindful of the arid conditions that were in the time of the Old Testament. There were arid cities, and there were arid wildernesses. And so a fountain was especially precious. And so I believe that God calls a married woman, in the context of her marriage, a fountain because, A, she's beautiful. B, she's refreshing. C, she brings joy. D, she is needed. E, she is wanted, F, she is valued, and G, she is guarded. So guys, have you told your respective wives that lately? That would be a good Valentine's card you could put together overnight. Dear, you are my precious fountain. You are beautiful. You are refreshing. You are one who bring, the one who brings me joy, I need you, I want you, I value you, and I guard you. That would be a great thing for a married man to tell his wife, not just on Valentine's Day, but any day. Before I move off of this, I just want to also teach you something I've taught you before, that men and women are attracted in different ways. Women notice relationship skill. Men notice outward appearance. And so, husband, win your wife's heart because if you don't, other guys may try. And wife, catch your husband's eye. If you don't, Other women may try. Our fourth and last instruction to do with the wife of one's youth is to enjoy life with the wife of your youth. In Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9, it says this, Live joyfully with the wife 
whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, that is your portion in life and in labor, which you perform under the sun. So God says to those of us who are married, live joyfully with the wife whom you love. Live joyfully. Why? Well, here's one thing I said at the funeral on Friday. The difference between money and time is you can know exactly how much money you have, but you can never know exactly how much time you have. And because every life and every married life has a limited time to it, God says, enjoy the wife of your youth. Wife, enjoy your husband. Have a good life together. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all the days of vanity, for that is your portion in life. That is to live joyfully is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Now, you have heard it said as if I, and I actually I have said it, and many, many of you have said it, this, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death us do part. Death has done a lot of parting, hasn't it? Death has done a lot of parting when it comes to married couples. And you know what, as a pastor... I have never sat down either with a widow or a widower and heard them say, I sure wish we had had less fun together. Nobody ever says that. The third church which I pastored was large and demanding. It was no easy ministry. And when Beth and I first came to that church, a wise Christian college and seminary president gave Beth and I some unexpected but very good advice. And this is what he said to us. Find the fun. Married couples who don't find the fun don't have much for which to look forward. So I ask you who are married, what is that for which you and your mate are looking forward? Something should come to mind. We have a calendar on our refrigerator, one of those big kind of calendars that teachers might use in a classroom. And not all the days of the month are marked one month at a time on our refrigerator. And every Friday, there's a heart on every Friday with R plus B and Cupid's arrow through the heart every single Friday because that's my day out of the office every week and that's my day to date Beth. And we do different things. We enjoy things outdoors. We run errands. We shop. Whatever we can, we're together. And at the, every week, we can look forward that on Fridays is R&B day. Every Friday. We have something for which to look forward. I hope you have something for which to look forward if you're married. I really do. Um, 
Now, as I look at that verse, Ecclesiastes 9.9, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in labor, which you perform under the sun. I noticed two things in that verse. Number one, it's addressed to husbands. And number two, it doesn't say wait until anything. We are to live joyfully with our wives, guys, and it's up to us either to make the plan of something to look forward to or to give our wives the ability and the green light to make that plan for something we both can look forward to. But it falls on the men, the husbands, that there's something for which to look forward in one's marriage. And it doesn't say wait for anything. Enjoying life and finding fun, as the seminary professor said, president said to us, these are important things. And um, you really need (laughs) to have something fun to look forward to. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It can be free. But just something that you as a couple can enjoy doing that's enjoyable so that you will live joyfully all the days you're privileged to be married. So here's my challenge for the married. I challenge the married to plan something that you both can look forward to as husband and wife before the end of February. That gives you about two weeks. Plan something. And I love the fact it didn't say, do this, live joyfully, waiting until this or that or that. No. It doesn't say that. It says enjoy life and finding the fun isn't to wait until you have enough money or your kids are growing up or you have all your responsibilities totally completed or you're retired. It doesn't say anything like that. And so for married couples, enjoying the life and finding the fun is a reward from the Lord, a reward to be regularly and repeatedly received from heaven. So being a wife of your husband's youth comes with some fair expectations, lady. And getting a wife of your youth comes with instructions, gentlemen. So may we take to heart the blessing and the joy of human love patterned after divine love. And may we have marriages that honor God by proper loving and proper planning of recreation and renewal as couples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word, looking at the uh, wife of one's youth. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can take to heart some of these principles that may not have been uh, in play yet in our marriages. We pray, Lord, that we would follow through and have healthy, happy, joyous marriages. Lord, for those who are single, we pray they would wait upon you in prayer, that they would have principles and and ethics and purity in the dating process so that one day, as you supply for them the right husband or the right wife, that they too could enjoy the beauties of marriage. Lord, thank you for those in our midst that have been an excellent example to us in their marriages. 
those widows and widowers that have set a good example in this congregation for many years, please bless these as now they sojourn in life and soldier on without their uh, mate who's gone to glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.